for those of you who are our sensitive listeners, uh, rowers are renowned for having the most terrible language. So we try and keep it clean, but every now and then there is the occasional curse word. So you guys have been warned. Huge respect for the double Olympic champion, who he describes as unpredictable, and that's what makes him such a problem, particularly on the very big occasions. But now you can see Tufter beginning to put himself back into contention. Look at the way, look at the way that the Olympic champion uh, sculls Tufter. He just sits low there, drives his legs, then uncurls his body at the finish of the stroke. He's just a, a, a fantastically efficient and effective uh, sculler. But he certainly is. They're, they're beginning to close up on him. And look at Tufter go. He's just up the rate. He's rounded up to 40. And he's closing back on Drysdale. He's going right through Sinek. But what a fantastic finish. Tufter and Kietil Borges in lane two are going brilliantly. Tufter is already in that exclusive Olympic club. He's the only man racing in Rio with three Olympic medals. And he's going to get another by the looks of things with Kietil Borges in lane two. It's Norway coming up for the bronze medal. Brilliant. After competing on the international rowing circuit for a number of years and racing at the Rio Olympics, we realized that each athlete has an epic story and a journey behind every performance. And there's so much more to the Olympics than just that final race. We know the passion we have for sport is shared by thousands of others around the world and we want to bring these stories to you. On the Row Show, we have a look behind the scenes to understand the journey each athlete has taken to get to the Olympics. We get into the years of work and dedication and the hardships an athlete has to endure to have a chance at standing on the greatest sporting stage in the world and a chance for ultimate glory. Welcome to The Row Show. We are your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jay Green. This is a podcast where we're going to be going into everything related to sport and performance and we're also going to talk a bit about rowing. In South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks Olympics. down barriers. Yeah, right. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Selfish people roll as high fit. Passion. Great. Life. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate gold. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello boys and girls, ladies and gents. Shot for tuning in. Thanks everyone for starting to share the show and telling your friends. We're definitely starting to grow and it uh, is really making a difference and it's really exciting. So keep supporting The Row Show by sharing and telling your friends and reviewing our show and uh, keep, to sending us, keep sending us that feedback. It's uh, really helping us to, to get the right stuff and, and get what you guys want. Just a quick shout out to Just Rowing. They are doing so much to bring the rowing community such epic content. We love the With the Rower for a Day takeover series where athletes from around the world share their daily training routines. So go check out the Just Rowing page on Instagram. This week, we have part two of the Olaf Tufter episode. So if this is your first time listening, we would recommend you go back and listen to part one. Olaf Tufter is one of the greatest rowers of all time and competed at six Olympic Games, winning four medals, two of which were gold in the single skulls. After 24 years of competing at the highest level, he has so many results, it would take us a whole episode just to list them. We left off last episode with Olaf talking about his training and how he gets the balance between endurance, strength and technique. This episode, we are going to discuss how he turns good training into gold performances. We are also going to discuss his back-to-back Olympic successes, his journey into the double for the 2016 Rio Olympics and his plans for Tokyo 2020. He also gives us some insightful answers to our quickfire questions. So without further ado, let's enjoy part two 
of Olof Tufte. Talking about your your race profile, because I mean you are often not that fast for the first 500. I'm too weak. But is it a? Are you just trying? Is it something that you're trying to do to to even split the race and, and try and be as consistent as you can down the down the track, or is it just something that you you struggle without the blocks? Um. I once learned that um, it's best to lead at the finish. <laughs> yes, it's true. Isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? Exactly what uh, we had one of the coaches, Paul Jackson, on, and he said it's not that important to lead at the at the five hundred, but it's critical to be ahead at the, <laughs> the, at finish, the finish line. line. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'm. I mean, I think. From the start on, you'll see quite easy what people's been training on. People who has some some rowers or some teams are really good at just moving the boat out and not moving the water. For 25 years, I've been moving water at the start, pulling hard as hell, but just moving yeah everything else. Um, and it, of course, if you can get off the blocks, get ahead easily because you have a good start technique and stuff like that. That's that's no problem. But for me in a race, I want to race um, the best I can from what I've trained. So if I overdo what I am good at, I will die on the way. But if I do what I'm the best at, I will die just before the finish line, hopefully mm. just after. So. If I think too much about what you guys are doing because you're length in front and blah, 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 it's going to blow up my mind. But I do, I have to do my research and say, okay, this is my limit for now. Just hold it, hold it, hold it. So, okay, now I can push. And one of my things is like, I keep my speed on second 500 quite okay. And back in the days from 900 meters and in, that was my race. Mm. So if if the best guys didn't have more than three seconds, <laughs> they were done. They were done. <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the um, one of the good races to to see this is at the Athens final. Um, at the start, uh, Chalupa just goes miles up. Yeah, he knew he wouldn't win it, and yeah. so he took a chance. He took a chance, and then I mean, you can watch, you can see that you 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 in the pack, but you're not never quite dominant, and you only really this last five hundred you can see. Um, the way that that kind of profile comes off. That was 2004 is quite funny because um, Yuri comes back and he changes rowing. First of all, he rows better technically than ever and he rows smarter the way he rows. He doesn't bounce out of the start and die on 1250. Um, and he, he won the World Cup in Poznan that year and he was he was solid. Mm. Um, and getting into the final, I was the best shape I think I ever been. I was and I was supposed to win it. Um, and as you said, I was just in the pack. I was comfortable in pain uh, <laughs> and control. And now I was like, okay, waiting for the task meter, waiting for the task meter. Okay, now we go. And that's supposed to be my piece. And when I go, nobody's supposed to follow. And then Yuri just went through me. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? It's like, this is my piece. And I know that I'm rowing better, faster than anybody else. And he just went through me like nothing. And I was like, ooh. 
so I could easily lost my head and lost that race <coughs> but I didn't give up so I just kept pushing and kept pushing and I, <coughs> I, I know that I had a good sprint especially around this time I I've been training on that sprint and I know that nobody will follow if I'm at you at the last 250 I'm the best mm. so I was just okay just push him so hard that he will he will not follow when I click so it's pushing 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 and you can see on on this race the red buoy was my marker so when I had the red buoy in my sight I was click and, and it I, was a big change five strokes yeah I go from almost behind and in front and people think that Yuri died he didn't die no. he has the same same exact the same speed all the time but I d managed to change the speed of the boat by shocking the boat yeah because it's quite a nice thing in the single is that you can change speed so quickly so over one stroke you can change the boat speed I managed to do it in double and in the quad yeah. mm. if the boys do exactly what yes. I say I manage yes Mm. That's that's quite cool. I managed to do it with a, with a, with a quad um, in twenty Europeans in Rasitja seventeen sixteen seventeen yeah I was in the quad and I managed to get the boys to sprint with a quad like that yeah that's funny that's a good feeling and in the double as well managed to to get Chetil to come with me to sprint and when you hit it because. The thing is, like, if you go faster and faster and faster, and then you start to die, and you try to sprint, the boat only goes down. So you need to be a little bit patient, because the the whole shift of rhythm and speed has to be dominant. Yes. So you have to kind of make the boat jump off the water and go on top. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So you have to actually. Sometimes I actually also went down in speed. Because I know I have to shuck it up. Mm. So I have to go down 34, 35, and then shuck it up to 44. Yeah. That's, uh, it's a mental game. Yeah. And you have to have the confidence that you can do this. But in this race, I was, I had so much power and I was so confident. And when I hit it, I, I could roll all the way to the sea. <laughs> yeah. I got so much energy from watching Yuri kind of just yeah. passing him. And you see, I, I just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then what happened? So like the next four years, you, you, you didn't win the, at the World Champs for no. up to Beijing. I should have won 2005 though. Okay. I was so good. I did 6.29 in Gifu. <laughs> yeah. Even it was a bit strange. So <laughs> yeah. There's a, <laughs> it's, it's, a little... it's kind of, but still 6.29. I live on that one. Uh, <laughs> and then Mai comes along and... Um, the the weather changed. We got uh, headwind, some waves, and I started to play the drums. And I think I said after that race, like taking silver rowing like this, it shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> I think I hit everything. Oh, like I think the the drummer in Metallica, he would be proud watching me like that's fantastic. Like this. <laughs> I, was, I remember I was so angry doing that race, and I poo. No, I didn't deserve to win anything in it in 2005 but my my shape was really good mm. so I, sh I should have um, fought for that gold medal but Mahe took the advantage rode well and won mm. and then it, and then in 2008 you you managed to to get that's him that's an amazing race 
and what what happened like was it just bmt just uh no no this um this is a long one because um um after 2004 everything was fine and i trained and worked hard as normal and then woke up one in 2005 suddenly i couldn't get air that was like like this so i totally died during the race and i was like what's going on i cannot breathe so they figured out i got the, the asthma and allergy and it's like no way i got <laughs> this body's like this is superman i don't get asthma i don't get allergy i'm a fucking farmer <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they had to put me on medicine so i had to start from scratch so i have had to learn about asthma i have to learn about my asthma i have to learn everything about the medicines and when to take them how how to take them and what kind of medicine is a millimedicines so i was struggling so much but in the end of the year it was not allergy anymore only asthma so i managed to to build up but during the summer i was totally out uh and in an, in a few periods there i was like okay so i don't get ear um well that's probably just like being in a high altitude so i train hard as shit <laughs> without getting oxygen so yeah. i kind of i faded on training i faded in race and just and now i know that that was stupid because <laughs> yeah. kind of tear down my lungs and stuff but for me it was like go on go on go on be the tougher guy um so i had to learn everything over again and i also had to start to do new rowing technique um because i started to just go more and more down uh, I'll do it later also. Bidding was okay rowing. Um, but on the build up to to Beijing, we said everything should be Beijing. Everything is about Beijing. But 2005, there was uh, asthma coming in. <clears throat> in the finals, in the walls, I should have won. But I rode badly, so I didn't deserve to win, and I didn't. 2006, I was actually quite strong. I, I did 639 with 39 fever and coughing like shit so i no, was quite okay shape. for being sick yeah. no i so this race i i would struggle for the medals uh if i wasn't sick but sometimes you are and that's what it went 2007 i was actually back i was really fast the first thousand meters in 2007 is one of the best first thousand meters i ever had i was actually in the lead which i never are um but I, I fucked my back again uh, on uh, on the speed up before the walls. So my back was really bad all the way into the walls. And in Munich it was like 35 degrees and really dry. So I kind of burned my lungs in the first heat because I was like, yes, the farmer is back. I'm going to show him. So I just went off the blocks and rode as fast as ever in the first 500 meters. And you know, when you go off and your lungs are actually not ready for breathing. So I totally burned off my lungs and I was coughing and having trouble so mm. through the whole championship I tried to build up my back my lungs my health and got back in the final and I was okay and I rode well for thousand meters I was leading and I used a little bit too much energy on the first thousand meters so I kind of got it and my come booming on my side again but that was good. I was I was really happy actually uh, after that bronze medal. Um, 
on the pictures I'm like on my way to Beijing we are on schedule mm. I didn't care about the yes I just know that those first thousand meters I can use for Beijing yeah I think also considering the the, str- the struggles with the asthma and the and your allergies it's it was um, a lot of work and behind that medal yeah so that's why I said Beijing is probably the biggest team effort I ever been in so many people around me building me up um, with my physics uh, and my my body with um, with coaches and stuff like that. I done so many strange things in the gymnastic hall and asthma doctors and physiologists and I think there were twelve people in Beijing and I was the only rower from Norway. Just taking care of me. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. that was crazy. But so I'm like, whew I, I succeeded so it was a good run. Yeah. No, and that race I think it's my favorite race of all your races. Yeah. I did actually, I, I did a mistake in that race, but I th- it probably gave me the medal anyway. But my race plan was to push really hard in third 500, but I was already in the lead at 1,000 meters. Yeah. So I was like, what's going on? I'm not, I'm not supposed to lead at 1,000 meters. So, uh-uh. Keep it cool, keep it cool. And I didn't push as hard as I was planning to do. And Maha went past me and I was like, you really fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> but um, again, I, I didn't want to give it up. And um, he had he went from one length behind me and he crushed me. He was one yeah. Yeah, more than a length massive, in front of me. Massive lead. But my deal with my coach was like, because two days before the final, I told my coach, like, we're here. Now it's good. Now my boat is flying on the training. So he told me, like, I know you, you want to sprint at 250. Today, you're going to sprint before 300 to go. So I was like, okay, so I, I, I need to dare to go before I actually planning to go. So when I heard my coach yelling at the marker that I was supposed to go, I, I just went once and start to catch up. Mm. And then I went again. And then... 200 to go I just flipped but if you see the race again watch Andre it's five strokes difference between Andre and me during the whole race that sets the gold medal because he's just behind me and he's coming up by my side before I go the last time Mm. and I went before I went five strokes earlier than he expected and you, and that's you think is what helped you there, what got you through? Yeah, because I managed yeah. to jump in front, and then he starts, and we go parallel. Yes, yes. Only Jeez. five strokes, but it's um again in, in in that race I had so much energy coming into that sprint, so the race looks like the perfect setup. <clears throat> um, it's one of my best races, but I think um, if I should plan it again, I would. I would push on the third 500, mm. but I was I was actually a bit scared because <laughs> I think okay now you used too much energy. But, yeah. But in this race, I mean, you hit the water in the catch and you, you can feel the catch on your toes, and when you move the legs, you move the whole boat just going. Yeah. It's um amazing feeling. So mm. so what is your favorite race of your career? Um. 
I would say actually Milan 2003 because I wasn't I shouldn't be strong enough to win that race but I mentally managed to race with what I had and technically it was quite okay mm. I think for being me it was quite okay but I mean it's it's hard to to discuss the best race I mean um, it was a really hard and good race in 2001 winning the first world uh, world title um, Athens big achievement winning um, but coming back and do it in Beijing um, and I think we won all together I mean okay Mahe was sick so he could probably gone faster um, but he still got sick it's a part of the game I was mm-hmm. sick in 2006 so oh, it is, mm. that is part of the game but I think the build up for 2008 was so solid from all the people around um, the way I managed to put things aside in the right time because I do too much but I I need to be occupied um, so I think the whole like the, if, you, if you put out the whole year the last two years the build up for the Olympics and how I dared to, to do gymnastic training I dared to go to ballet cl- classes just to learn how my muscles are actually working I learned so much from them <laughs> Uh, and do do stuff I never done before and my mental coach challenged me and um, I did the mental thing I didn't skip the mental training I I performed the races in my head and all those kind of things and putting all the pieces together and suddenly you have a, a whole picture so it's um, I think that build up is the best I've done mm. Rio was also a good build-up and mm. people wanted to listen to me and do what I actually know how to do. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a good build-up. Yeah, so like more on Rio, that must have been... Um, tell us about that experience because it, it was obviously... Um, you you had struggled a bit with um, form coming from London and then the period leading up to Rio. So it must have been... That medal must have been something special because it seems like... It was a lot, a lot of hard work to get there. This starts in after Beijing, because after Beijing, I um, we don't make money from rowing. I make money from talking, and media likes what I'm saying, so media like me. Uh, and then we we had a we had a the crack, economic crack in 2008. Mm. So after after Beijing winning my second gold medal, I get less money than before. So it's like, yay, cool to win a gold medal and you actually lose money. After after Beijing, until the walls in 2009, uh, I keep diary of, of sleeping hours and training and stuff like that. So from Beijing until Poznan 2009, I had six and a half hour average sleep. Um, I renovated the house back home completely. Uh, I got married. Um, we managed to, um, I managed to make my wife pregnant with second child. I was running up and down all Norway having speeches, training full time. Um, I created Team Tufte, which is like um, uh, f- for the recruits to manage to, to be sponsored to go on the camps and equipment and stuff like that. So I managed to put together a sponsored package for the team, not for the individuals, but for the team. So I did all that job. It's still running. 
Um, so I was, I was working my butt off. Uh, I won the World Cup 2009 in single. Mm. Um, but what people don't know is like before every World Cup, I had to go out from normal training and do uh, what I call um, backup plan or recovery training, like just easy, easy, easy. Because I was I was so low on energy, I was mm, totally down. Doing a lot of stuff. So I had to go really down on training and stuff like that. So I managed to have a small peak to every World Cup and race okay. Coming into the walls, I was so tired. I I literally sat on the bed praying and said like, please give me my body for one week and I promise to rest for two months. And I'm not kidding, I was sitting on my bed almost crying because I was so tired, I could not find any energy. Um, going into that final, I was warming up, it was 30 plus in Poznan. I warm up on my bike for 40 minutes, didn't sweat a drop, and I'm the guy sweating three liters an hour. Going in the boat 45 minutes, didn't sweat anything. Went off the start, went with with the, the pack till 7.50, trying to move, still in the pack, toss meters, somebody just poof, turn off the engine. Go. Mm-hmm. I got 20 seconds going in. And woke up the other morning, and if you look at my ankles, they're quite thin. And there was like this, they hang over the shoes. I was, I was dead. Done. Yeah. And I, I went to the doctors and said like, okay, so uh, my body just died. It's something wrong. And they do eco ghee and everything. No, 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 you're fine. You're just tired and you're old. You need to rest. And I was like, okay, yes, I get it. I know what I've done. I admit I've done too much, but this is something more. This is, I am sick something wrong find it no 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 you have to listen to us we know this so 2010 I was training full-time every time I push hard I collapsed have to go back train up and I trained a lot I trained like 11 1200 hours and I was working I, I did the same stuff because compared to doctors I wasn't sick I was just tired and in my head if I don't do my 1200 hours I will not be fit enough so I was just training like crazy. Because I mean, also you've won two Olympic gold medals and many more medals along with the same training program. Yeah. So it's a bit difficult to <clears throat> shift your perspective yeah. on something you've that's made you so successful. I didn't manage. I, I was uh, I was uh, alcoholic to my hours and my case. I need to do my my case in the boat and my hours on everything else. So 2010, I I I should have stopped. I should have stopped in 2008 after Beijing. I should have taken a year off as my coach told me to. But I was too high on myself, on on, on the winning wave. And yeah. I finally got back and I could row fast and I wanted to go on. But I should have taken a year off and easy down. 2010 blew off, 2011 blew off, but I was still in the finals. I managed to get to the mm. finals, so thing was okay. Mm. 212 I still managed to act, just cope just enough and then I fucked it up in the semi-final uh, in London yeah I was the best shape of the year that doesn't say much about shape um, but on the warm-up in the semi-final I finally hit the wave out of the row and I was like yes now I can go to the final and then I went off the start and the wind 
took my boat and I went into the buoys, lost the oar, start again, catching up uh, Marcel again, as I'd done like for 15 years. And then my engine was down. So I was off, off the finals for the first time uh, since 1997, except one World Cup in, in 2005 when I got the asthma. Okay. Otherwise, I've been a in final. the finals all the way yeah. down. It must be quite a different experience, especially at the at the London Games. Yeah. That's that was actually uh, that was hard on me. I I felt that I um, I failed for the whole team. I failed for Norway myself, especially my family. I mean, I put them through a lot. I travel 200, 250 days a year. When I'm home, I'm training and working. I hardly see them. And why do I give them? Like a B final in, a, in Olympic Games. Come on. Mm. This is... Yeah. So that race is still in my head. Or the whole build-up. Yes. But then that was 12. And then I said, like, okay, so I'm not, I'm not sure if I can manage anymore. So I stepped out in 2013. Um, still training quite a bit. I did some TV shows. I... Well, I mean, a bit. I trained like 900, 850, 900. <laughs> yeah. Better rest for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and felt that, well, I'm, I think I start to get some energy back. And so I said, like, okay, so I'm back. And 2014, I started out in C final. And I was like, what the fuck? You're not supposed to be in C finals. So I went C final, B final, A final in Lucerne. And I was like, okay, so we might be back on track. <laughs> and then in Amsterdam, I, my own fault, but I ended up getting to see final. My body didn't work. Even I, I had the fifth fastest time in the quarterfinals and still didn't manage semifinals. Mm. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. But anyway, I, I went out and then I, I start to work with uh, acupuncture. And the guy said, well, I think you had a fever. The, um, what do you call it when it goes on uh, your liver? Monoclosis. Yeah. But it goes on your liver and your limbs and stuff like that. But the thing is, like, the doctors, most normally they don't find it before after you had it. And you can feel okay, but when you push, you go down. Some people lay straight out for a year but it's so many different levels so I probably didn't have the hardest one but come on you're gonna be Olympic athlete and yeah. if you have like point of a percentage yeah you know, it's gonna go all the way down yeah so so I, I could train long distance I could train a lot but when I pushed maximum poof. so this guy with acupuncture he said like, well I think you actually had this fever and I was like well the doctor told me no and then he went through the China medicine, like, I'm quite sure. And then suddenly we just had a blood test because of some altitude training. And then another doctor approached me and said, like, um, you, you know that you had the fever? I was like, no, because this house has been telling me for four years I didn't have it. Well, you had it. Well, that explains a few things. Yeah. But then in 2014, then we... Then I had to rebuild the whole training uh, idea because I couldn't do that much and I couldn't do it so hard. And so I had to 
to start to listen to the body compared to what I did on the water. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I actually have to just quit after one interval or I could do the whole thing. Um, and being more cautious from recovery and what I put into my body and stuff like that. So this guy with acupuncture, he actually helped me a lot. Uh, probably he, I would say that he's the key. Um, so but also the finding out that you had something wrong must have then given you <clears throat> back that belief that like, because yeah. obviously you were struggling along, you don't know what's wrong and like you just keep bashing against the wall and, and not getting anywhere. Then now you have something to, to almost blame. Yeah, but uh, at least you can put it there and it's like, pooh, yes. this is the reason. So, okay, yeah. so we have to so, solve this one and then hopefully we'll back. Yeah. And so we used 2014 to build up and I felt better and better and in the walls, I was really unhappy that I actually rode quite fast, um, but not fast enough. So that was straight, straight right in my face. Um, but I still believed that I could do it. So I just kept training and 2015, I think um, one of the most emotional races I ever done when I managed to go through the semifinals and sprint for the for the final and qualification. The whole area was giving me a, giving me a cheering and passing there and I was like, oh love, oh love, oh. Because they've been with me struggling all the way and yeah. I managed to get uh, get back up instead of quitting. I managed to get back up. Yeah. And the way I did it in uh, in uh, in that semifinal, if you see that sprint, um, that's the coldest thing I ever done. Because um, the Belarusian guy, he was really strong, and before the race, I knew that the last final spot's gonna be between him and me. And here's the guy who goes out and rowing just faster and faster and faster. And All the way to the finish really line. Really diesel engine. And he caught me at 1500 meter mark. He caught me up. And I was quite tired and I'm like, okay, so if I start to sprint now, I'll die and he will he will take me. So I have to, I have to mentally fuck him over. So I let him go. And I went down. I went from 37 and down to 34 right and he just kept going and I was like I had totally it's it's a rare feeling when you're in in because my home spot is the last 250 meters yeah when I feel that I have control of the field even if they're in front of me or coming from behind doesn't matter as long as I feel that I'm in control I have the picture of everything moving in slow motion so it could be like this much to go i just that's my home yeah <laughs> that's my it's, home court yeah it's unbelievable and i i when i saw it on tv afterwards i was like shit did i give him that much <laughs> but i had to let him go because i have to lower my rate and my speed to manage to shock the boat otherwise i wouldn't yes. manage to sprint so i lowered the rate and the, and the speed and he was allowed to go ahead and he was like yes i'm in the final i'm qualifying for olympics and then 100 meters to go i just shocked the boat jumping in front and won by this much and for me i felt i had totally control until Mm. i saw the pictures (laughs) but the the way of winning that final spot was like i'm back yeah so i qualified for the sixth olympics and everything was uh, fine and 
the sharing from the audience and stuff that was that was awesome incredible yeah yeah i mean uh, i had a long run there from 2008 and going through all that shit and never yeah. give up and then yes. going to <laughs> to take the the medal the next year is just uh just so cool we should have won that race mm. if we didn't fuck up that start oh. believe sitting on olympic final and after 200 meters you turn around and say like easy easy down go down easy so we had to go down 28 rate, get control of the boat, and then we get back on speed. Okay. So we gave away five seconds before we managed to get control of the boat, and then we went. Because I knew, I, I knew that if we keep keep on this shit rowing, yeah, we will die before 1,000 meters, and we'll end fifth or sixth. Yes. So the only way to manage to get a medal, we have to get control of the boat, start playing drums in, uh, in the waves in uh, Rio, so I just, I had to take the decision like, Chetil, easy, down, 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 down. And then build up and get yes. the speed through the waves. Yes. And yeah, because that was a really tricky regatta. Yeah, it was. Search but I mean, the, the best team won anyway. They, yeah. they handled the waves okay and managed to get away. But from 300 meters road until the finish line, we beat the equation by 2.7 seconds. And... I was I was really good shape in in yeah. Rio in the semi final we could have battled them down and I was again this slow motion effect in a, in a, in the finish with GB coming up on the side and we were getting close to to Croatia and I didn't go for the sprint we've been rehearsal the sprint so much because I know that when it gets down to the finish line. The, the boat managed to make a proper sprint. He has such an advantage. Um, and I know that when people see me in the boat, they know that the last 250, they have no clue what's going to happen. Mm. They don't want me. Ask my, don't want me Not in the last close. 250. No, no, no. He wants good distance. <laughs> he wants a little cushion. There. Yeah, but he knows that I can make that boat fly if I got everything right. Yeah. And no one, I... I don't think anyone managed to sprint in the end of the race. People can sprint much faster than me from the start, no problem. But in the end of the race, I haven't seen anyone manage to put up the the same speed. I'm, I actually sprint faster than I managed to start maximum. Yeah. I don't know why. Stupid. <laughs> but sprinting from speed, it's something I just managed to figure out. Yeah, I think it's got something to do with that understanding that you can you can kick the boat. Yeah. That you can jump and coming maybe a little bit down and then being able to to step mm. off it yeah because i, I tried to sprint skill. from like 39 40 rate but you only gain rate and the speed doesn't actually change because yeah. it's too fast yeah it's like but wheel if, spinning so if you go down i'm telling you all the secrets now go, <laughs> go down go down in rate and and lower the the, the speed just a little bit and then pick up the speed without actually increasing the rate and then hit it so you, you hit it when the boat is on the way on speed yeah and you, you shock it with like eight ten strokes and for three four strokes you can have quarter stroke three quarter strokes but then you need to reach the length otherwise you're going to yes. fall down yeah, yeah. so this, this is the whole thing like everybody can shock probably shock the boat a little bit but if if you fuck up stroke five to ten the boat just gonna Go Die back down. Again. Yeah. So you need to keep that boat just flying. 
mm. and that's about feeling and and length. Yeah, we talk we we talk about moving the boat when you when you're moving up like that. It's about moving through the water before yeah. anything else and not moving it on the slide because you might feel like you're making something change yeah, yeah. if you're just going up and down slide quickly. But in the end of the day, you probably just got to be going slower. Yeah, and what moving 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 the lake is that's not speed. Mm-hmm. Moving the boat. Yeah. yeah, that's important. And then going on to Tokyo, is the goal still the double? Or is it open? Um, I'll put it this way. I, I don't care which boat I'm in, as long as everybody do their best to yeah. perform. Mm. And I think that's where the issue is. Because people are doing too many stupid things and they don't take it seriously enough. Yeah. And I think the question then, to put up because I, I discuss this a lot with um, people that I trust because sometimes I get really frustrated when I don't believe that people actually put in what it takes to be as good as possible. You might be better rower than me, you row faster, but still I can see that you don't do the best out of what, what to you make you been even faster. I think you can be better, even if you beat me, I don't care, but you can be so much better yeah. if you did the right things. And that just frustrates me. Because yeah. I always had to work hard to become good. And then I worked harder than everybody else and then I started to beat them and stuff like that. But when people, they're just good and I train okay. And I was like, why the fuck can't you just do things better? Because yeah. you will be so good. But they don't they don't get it. Mm. Like Being good is good enough. Come on, that's not good enough. No. Mm. So... My old coach, uh, Tore, who coached me from 97 till 2004 and helped me back in 2008 again, he, he put it quite easy up and so like, well, does it mean enough for the other one? Yeah. Mm. Does it actually mean enough to be as good as possible or is it okay to be good? Yeah. And I think that's a, it's a fair but tough question. Because you can beat me, fair and square, no problem. You're better than me. But I will see how fast I can go. That's my goal. Yeah. I don't care. Uh, well, I do care, but I cannot do anything about you guys. If you yes. are better than me, that's a ploy to you guys. But have I done Everything the best I could? Can do. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I've been crying for fifth places, fourth places, because I'm so happy because I had a really good race. I've been crying because I was so angry winning World Cups and go straight back in the boat for 90 minutes and rehearse because it wasn't good enough. Mm. I won the World Cup, but it's not good enough to win the World Olympic Games, which was my goal. So for me, it means so much that I will do whatever it takes. And that's the issue going into a team boat. Do you trust the other guy to yeah. do what it takes? Yeah. Because, I mean, like, at the end of the day, you know, it's when you want to win an Olympic gold, there's a lot you have to do and a lot you have to sacrifice. And not just in the boat, there's a lot of stuff like your lifestyle, mm-hmm. things outside the boat, how efficient and how much you're maximizing the rest of your life to be able to perform. I'm no, I, I, I normally say, like, um, I always put up a trick question, but... Have you sacrificed anything for rowing? I don't think so. Well, obviously you have, but for me, I don't. I don't see it as a sacrifice because I want to do it so badly. 
you? Well, about the same answer as Lawrence. Rowing, going to the Olympics is a dream. So if I'm being able to do a, something I, I dream about, then I don't really see too much of a sacrifice. So I would say I, I never sacrificed anything in my life. But I was quite hard doing the priorities yeah. to get to my goal. Mm. So sometimes I have to, to make a choice. Maybe it's a hard choice, but I still I do it because I want to get where I want. So what I say, like, if you're sitting on that yurg and you hate it, everybody hates sitting on the yurg in the end. But you sit on the yurg, you hate it, and you start thinking, I should have gone to the cinema with my girlfriend and making out in the back row and eating popcorn. Like, so get the fuck off the yurg yeah. and go. Go do that. Yeah. Because then you're in the wrong place. But yeah, I also hated the org and, and wish I had an easier workout or whatever. But when that one hits me, it's like, but this is volunteer. It's yeah. Totally my own thing. Yeah. And if I want to be good enough, I have to do this. Yeah, so. one, of, one of the guys on our team, John Smith, he often tells if someone will <clears throat> say something like, complain well not complain or, or say like this is really shit you will say not everybody wants to win <laughs> no yeah somebody just want to have south africa on the back and they're happy yeah yeah it's experience they eh? one of the experience yeah. but not everybody wants to actually go and, and be the best in the world. and that's that's a big difference and you could see it at the at the olympics so i mean it's me and jake's first olympics but you can see there's two groups of people there's people that are there to wear the flag yeah and there's people that are there to race and to win it's yeah, you can you can see it on people. You can see it straight away. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. Uh, for me this is uh, this is an uh, important thing now, and I think the humbleness to understand what it actually takes that's rule number one. Yeah. And when you've never been there, how can you know? So mm. call a friend who's been there and ask what it what's it gonna take. Yeah. And then you can make a choice: is this something I believe I can do, or is it too much? And I respect both sides of the answer. But I don't respect the guy who tells me I'm going to be Olympic champion and he doesn't do the work. Yeah. I don't, I don't care if you, you're born doing six flat on the erg without training. I don't give a shit. But I do give a shit if you work your butt off and you do 605. Yeah. And you maximize everything you do. I mean, this is the guy I bring for war. Yeah. Yes, some, some cool answers there. So I think... Uh, to round the, the interview off, we're going to we go into some questions that we ask all the guests <laughs> that, that we have on the show. You want to take yeah, the first so one? I'd love to start with if you could, if you could. Okay, this is this might this will be interesting because you've rode a couple boat classes. If you could race any boat class at the Olympic Games, what would it be? Let me put it this way: if you win the single scholar, you're the chief of rowing. Yeah. Mm. If you win the eight. You're the chief team. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. So if, if I want to choose anything to win, it's a single. But I've done it. And I think once you've done it, you want to do it again. But again, doing with my new challenge, to do it with a team member and manage to put the boat in the position to be good enough to win. That's a nice feeling. Because you have to you have to change the whole build up because you're more than one person. So I think for me, and that was the whole idea with uh, with Rio, 
managed to get back in the team boat and put aside the single ego strategy, managed to work with uh, another one and and fulfill the whole thing and maximize it in the Olympic Games. And for me, this answer is two meters long. But, <laughs> but you, you, you get the sense, I mean, in the end, if you win Formula One, you're the best driver, yeah. period. If the one, if you win the eight, that's a team relay. You are the best team. But when you've done it, you you need new challenges. Yeah. And for me, it was a new challenge. Try to make the double run as fast as possible. And when we look back, I can always say it, but it's not in the papers. But we managed to actually make that double go the fast in the world. But in history, it won't show off. Yeah. Because they didn't win that race. Mm. And that's going to hunt me down for the rest of my life. Because we did so many things the right way. And when we sat down in 2015, Chetel and me selected and, okay, so this is what we're going to do. I draw up a map for Chetel, how we were going to build up everything. And I said, like, I'm not going to be top shape in the qualification. And we actually, we have to be top shape to actually qualify but I'm not going to be top shape. You have to be top shape. I'm going to be 98% and you're going to fucking pull me across the line. Because <laughs> if I'm going to be top in Rio, I cannot be the, in Lucerne as well. So going into the to qualification final and telling Shed like, Shedl, I'm not top shape, but I'm going to give you 35 right all the way through and I'm going to do it until I die. But I trust you to pull me over. I mean, yeah. I put responsibility in his in his lap and we manage and then the next build up so I, I blocked out everything and for us metal was the official gold but in that boat the only thing mattered for me was the gold medal and we managed to put it together and actually race as fast as we should we just had a little glip there in the start <laughs> and but that's that's sports, and that's the way it goes. Yeah. but it's gonna hunt me down until I reset it. Yeah, you have to come back in Tokyo and and claim it. That's my goal. So the next one is if you could choose three people from from anywhere in the world or, or anyone to to row in a four with or a quad, uh, who would those three people be? Ooh, shit, that's a trick question because I met so many good guys. Yeah. Um, in so many ways uh, and then people are going to say well why didn't you pick me blah 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 so how many people is listening to it? <laughs> <laughs> no one no. <laughs> <laughs> well that's a trick question but I think I think I must say I would choose Eastock Chop to probably be at the stroke seat he's one of my best friends you have never seen one boat under his arse didn't move along the water unbelievable he yeah. he knows how to feel that water it's unbelievable and then we need we need a really good bowman technician to to balance the four not as good as in in the eighth but still he has to be good because the the bow seat is crucial if he doesn't have the balance and he he can own the rhythm from the stroke guy yeah because if, if he's sitting on the bow and waiting for the other guys to move then you're too late yeah. you actually have to be in front have to anticipate it so yeah and so th- these are 
two meter answer. Um, this is again what I tell when I have people in, in the team boat, like don't sit there and wait for the rhythm. You have to own the rhythm. You have to feel like I am the rhythm. Otherwise you're too late. Yeah. So if you're watching, it's fine to watch the oar, but if you sit and wait for the oar, you're behind. Yeah. So you have to own, you, you have to feel like I am the guy going, giving the other guys the rhythm. Then you're in it. Then you're on top of the rhythm. Um, and then, I mean, in the single class, you have the best athletes. It's the reason why you row the singles. Mm-hmm. Um, I could always go and pick team rowers, but I think I, I have to put Maha in... in in uh, in the engine room um and the fun part with both of these rowers they came out from rowing not sculling yeah isak was in a pair my was in a four so this guy know how to scull i'm from the four myself yeah um so we're missing a bow guy because i think i would actually be on three seat myself <laughs> mm. Because I'm stupid enough. Yeah. First to go, last to blow. That's the three seat. <laughs> the three seat is... That's the guy who's going to be... Doesn't matter what. Um, bow guy. I could actually go for Julian. Because he's a, he's a good technician. He has the feeling. Hmm. He's a good guy. Yeah. And he got quite okay power as well. <laughs> and then next one. What is your your favorite rowing race that you keep watching over and over again? I don't watch my races. No, but no any, uh, any, any rowing race, race. Any rowing race that you like watching over and over again? Uh, maybe maybe the pair race from Sydney. Yes, that's <laughs> a really good one. I, yeah, it's um, a lot of people choose that race actually. Yeah, it is once in a lifetime or once in a century. Yeah. It's um, that was a crazy race. And then the next one is if you were in charge at World Rowing, uh, what would you change? Um, a lot of stuff. Tell the emperors to get the fuck off the course. They're <laughs> in their way. That's rule number one. And then we, um, we need to develop and be modern in the way we um, uh, express rowing into the world. Marketing, by commercialize yeah. and doing the sport more attractive for for people. Yeah, I, I would be the first guy to say we need to two K because this is the the gladiator race, but we need to do rowing more interesting. So we need the sprints, we need the city sprints. Yeah, it need to be narrow. It need to be some crashes. Yeah, so people actually can see rowing. Yeah, on top of rowing. Actually, from the bridges and from the from the piers, um, I know they tried out a 500 meter sprint um, back in the days. But the guys winning the 500 is probably the guys winning 2000 anyway, because 500 is too long, because it's 90 seconds yeah. plus. So you need to go down to 250. Then you can have some very interesting races. Yeah, and then you can do many races. Yeah. Because you can do a lot of two fifties. Yeah. So, so we need to do more. We need to listen to to the audience also. What what do you want to see? Well, audience want to see crashes. Audience want to see speed. Yeah. And close racing. racing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing with rowing is just just being able to watch 
the whole race yeah. unfold without the help of a big screen because the problem with two kilometers is that unless you have an issue above it yeah. you can't actually engage with the race the whole way down the easy way to do that part because all the rowing tracks courses they are 2k long and it's flat if you build railway beside and you take some old wagons from a rail railway yeah and you can have a tractor yeah pulling it yeah oh, because they did it at uh, amsterdam actually yeah yeah and it works really really well yeah and so the audience the race. are on the race all the time and i mean that's the only the only time you watch drawing is when it's broadcast good yeah on telly because then you see the neck and neck race all the time yeah i mean when when you're watching a race and you're like binoculars and like who the fuck is leading yeah and then you have your mom shouting whoa last three meters <laughs> and it's it's no, no it's, man's sports yeah no exactly you know we 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 also agree i always feel like i thought that they could introduce 500 meters as an event would be very cool yeah but like you said it would have to actually be shorter but i mean we after normally after the season we we move around and do sprints in in the cities and yeah. stuff and people love it and we flip over we break some oars and drink some beers and have some fun but it's it's good the spectators love it yeah they do and are you good at the 250 meter sprints yeah people don't think so <laughs> yeah because I'm good. I mean, your, your last 250 meters is is quick so but it's 50 <laughs> but if i want to yeah i don't give a shit about rowing because 250 meters just going crazy yeah yes. and if you manage to move the boat as well that's a bonus <laughs> so yeah i i can actually what's quite quite fun this year in Armadica because they did a 250 sprint before the race and the guys are like whoa you can actually row fast <laughs> yeah well normally 2k is not about 250 meters it's yeah. about 2k yeah but this is 250 so let's go so I uh, yeah I can I can sprint there if I want so this this next question is the the book of secrets question what is your PB on the 2k, 2K on the Eric, to tell us. Yeah. yes 544 yeah, that's just mega quick. And then, and then, do you have a PB for the five k? Fifteen of nine. Jeez. No, those that's are pretty quick. quick numbers. No, it's not a quick, but the people who is faster than me is mm, normally ten kilos more at least. Yeah. Mm. Except the last guy putting on the new record, there, Duncan Smith, or what's his name? Yeah, Josh Duncan Smith. Yeah, he's not that heavy, is he? No, no. I don't think so. And he's no. no, he's like he's similar to my size. Yeah, I think he's like ninety-four or so. Yeah, my PB is is set at ninety-four. Yes, but I'm but I, I'm I'm eager to to see how they train on the York. Do they train a lot of sprints? Yeah, because normally what we do is like we do high altitude training, skiing and erging, and then come down five days later. We have nationals, and that's the last two k hard yes. piece we do. So if I actually had a couple of months. Just training train on the earth to, to be fast I think I would yeah. get close to at least 40 when I did 44 was 2008 and we had 10 days from altitude to, to the earth champs and when I was finished I was like shit I'm good shape why <laughs> yeah. didn't I go because I didn't believe I could go faster I was because I was already yeah going under my PB and I was like Ooh, this is this is gonna be this is gonna be hard <laughs> And then <laughs> flowing into the finish, just sprinting, and I was like, "Shit, this is good." Another another thing with that is, for us, we find that 
you know, because of the, the training, you, you always, there's a bigger goal. You've got world champs and then the training program has to be so structured for that. So to be able to, for us, to be able to take a week off or something just to pull hard yeah. on 2K, you're not going to do that. No. I so mean, we, we, we do 2Ks in the season, but we, we train the whole season and we have to do a 2K. Yeah. So it'd be interesting if you rested. Yeah. Like you rest for world champs. And, and some do. speed training. Because you normally yeah. do 22, 24 yeah. rate and long pieces. Yeah. And when you go about 28 rate, you just die. Mm. Not because you pull hard. Yeah. But because you have... You can't move. You, you can't move the rhythm. Yeah. You're like a fucking elephant on that day. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Then, so our last question is, if you could uh, compete at the Olympics in a different sport, uh, which sport would you choose and why? Ooh. You know what? I, I think I could choose almost every sport besides <laughs> I love sports and I love the way of thinking the way of doing the build-ups and everything um, but what I do like is I like physical sport where it's allowed to give a little and you don't whine so if I go for Olympic sport winter time I would say hockey I always admire hockey it's allowed to tackle <laughs> and really be physical and stuff like that yeah if I go for summer Olympics I mean rugby's now on yeah, rugby season. Season. It, yeah that's a physical thing and I kind of like it but I know I've I mean sport sport is good doesn't matter yeah. what actually motorsport is also good but it's not in the Olympics <laughs> so just give me any sport and I'll just start practicing <laughs> but I, I but I have this belief though it's a big uh, discussion always is um, could you be good in another sport and I say yes and I, how can I say it well I mean everyone can be good in anything if they train and put down what's necessary to become good yeah but if you're going to be the best you need the X factor in that thing so I mean not everybody has X factories in everything or yeah. anything but everyone can be good mm. if they're willing to train and do enough that's simple yeah but if you're gonna win it you need the X factor so when I started the road they, they said like well he's, he's never gonna be a good scholar come on look at this technique <laughs> and he started so late no 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 he's nothing I manage yeah but I, my heart is not big, my lungs is not big, I'm not a big guy, actually I'm not suited for rowing except I get long legs, mm. but I'm, I normally say I'm stupid enough to do enough, that's my X factor. And I, I think another, another really cool thing about rowing is also what drew me to the sport is that it's the one sport where talent plays a very small role Yeah. and the, the <clears> effort <throat> and work you're willing to put in Will largely determine the results you get out of it definitely because you see a lot of rowers they can hardly walk straight mm. they fumble everything they cannot catch a ball with the hands or <laughs> feet or anything they're terrible athletes yeah but they manage to row yeah and i think that's quite cool yeah i i just still rowing is a good sport yeah, yeah not just Cool. That's a that's a wrap from us. Yeah. Thank you. That's a short interview. Yeah, that was a long short interview. one. That's a that's a that's the longest one we've had. That's my problem. 
when I start to talk. Tuk, tuk, tuk. No, but it's it's really good cool. because we get the the good stuff is when when you get the people talking. But I also think th- this is something I uh, I fancy about rowing and that we um, this is actually some this is the important part. Um, when I came to rowing, you see, I'm here, I'm visiting in Ramon, having good time. I go to Slovenia, my rival for 15 years. I was his best man. I go to New Zealand. New Zealand coach coached me and we are rivals. When I started a row, it wasn't like this. Yeah. You hardly, okay, so you spoke after Lucerne when they had a beer, you, you, you talked, but you, you didn't talk to the other countries during the competition. It was like more rivalry. And in the single scholar, yeah, it was like so it's big. terrible. Like, yeah. I, I'm not going to say names, but some <laughs> guys in the field was like assholes. Yeah. And the fun part, I raced Eastock in a double in 99 and 2000. We become good friends. And we raced in a single in 2001, two, three, and then he jumped back in a double. In 2001, we rode each other to death during the races. And on the cool down, we were chatting and smiling and yeah. having fun and mm. in between the races we were all together at the boat area and people were like what the fuck are these guys doing like they're, they're competitors they're going they're going what's this and then we started to loosen up the whole thing yeah and now all the single scholars are good friends we move around like a herd yeah we go visiting each other and train together and stuff like that now we're just a big happy family yeah. And it's also spread out to the team boats. <clears throat> more and more of the teams start to talk together, train together. And this yeah. is probably the biggest and best change. I got my best friends in the other countries. They're my hardest rivals and my best friends. That's and I train cool. with them. I discuss uh, equipment, uh, physiology, technique, mental training. I discuss everything. I don't care. Because mm. in the end of the day, we are more or less equal when the start goes. And the guy who has the best day and the hardest head, he will win in the end. Yeah. So I, I take Mahe, I took him to the gymnastic hall to show him what I did, which I think was one of the reasons that I won uh, Olympics in 2008. I brought him there in 2007 actually and taught him what I was doing. I wasn't afraid of him bringing that back and be better than me. I mean, then I give some, he gives some. Yeah, and you both get quicker. And hopefully I learn the most. This is what I like. Yeah. I don't like sitting here and have all my secrets. Mm. I don't have any secrets. I train hard. <laughs> I've been training harder than the rest of the guys. That's why I won. I think it goes to show a lot of people, especially people that aren't athletes or not involved, they, they, they watch the Olympics and they'll see you race and they think that there's something about you that... In, obviously you're a good athlete you're strong up here but it's just you're just better than everyone else and that's just the way you were you're born good and you stay good and that's you're Olympic champion they don't see what happens ten five years yeah, yeah. three years day by day by day and it's not it's not pretty and it's not you know it's not glorious but you know at the end of the day to get there it takes a lot no, I, I welcome everybody to join my life but I think they'll go down <laughs> quite yeah. fast yeah. Yes. Well, we could sit here and chat till till midnight. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Thanks so much summer. for yeah, thanks, for being on the thanks show. Thanks for being on the show, Olaf. We appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a wrap for our epic two-part interview with legend Olaf Tufter. 
Once again, share the show and help us grow. Also, go follow us on Instagram at The Row Show and leave a comment or message us on anything you like on the show or any ideas you have for us. Also, Jake and I are active on social media, so you can follow us. I'm at uh, Britton L and Jake is at Jake Milton Green. And I also write a blog just about my rowing journey and my um, path to Tokyo 2020. So go, go give that a look if you're interested to find out what goes on in my life. Yeah, Jake doesn't only have uh, the the gift of the gab, but he also can uh, put his pen to paper. So his blog's pretty epic. So go have a look. Thanks again, and we're out. Cheers. Boom. We we must be worried about making any mistakes because it's so easy to take it out. No worries. Um, yeah, of course. Um, Love doesn't make any mistakes. None. I'm not. I'm not afraid of making mistakes. No. If you don't do mistakes, you won't succeed. Yeah, you won't learn. So that's the easy part. Yeah, of course. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Get out of here.